back-to-back episodes now. I'm missing Greg Galls. Mark, I, I don't even really know what to do, how to make jokes. So I hope you're prepared for me to try to bounce some humor attempts off you. Because I don't have Greg to be here, like here to remind me everything I'm saying is wrong. And that uh, I'll, I'll, I'm just this you know young kid trying to figure out things. So feel, feel free to play uh, Greg's role in giving me a hard time this evening. Well, I'm going to miss him too, because he's always telling me I'm an old man who's forgotten everything, as he corrects me. So this might actually be a relaxing evening, Justin. Uh, yeah, we can just kind of talk and uh, have a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Greg and I cannot res- resist the urge to uh, give one another a hard time, which uh, makes the whole thing uh, appropriately lighthearted, given the topic sometimes. So it keeps it <laughs> live and interesting. Um, so as you can see, um, our Dean Mark Welsh is with us this evening. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time and coming back and hanging out with me on the, on the podcast. No, thanks for the chance, Justin. It's always great to see you and uh, being part of the podcast is just a privilege. Thanks for having me. Thanks. And thanks, uh, for all your support, um, for, uh, allowing us to have this platform and, and coming on and just having a chat with us about things going on at the Bush school and things going on in public service. I, I know you're busy and uh, I really appreciate you being here. No, this is a real thrill. And uh, by the way, thanks for knowing how to do a podcast because if you left that up to me, we'd have a problem. Yeah, well, us, um, us uh, younger generation, I guess, have to bring some things to the table as we're learning some other things at the same time. <laughs> it may have more to do with IQ than age, but either way, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm not, I'm not going in that direction. I'm not touching that. <laughs> So what I thought we would do this evening, uh, if it's okay with you, Mark, is last time we chatted, I believe was late January, early February of this year. We were in a a previous academic year, and we actually, believe it or not, sat at a table across from one another and were able to have a drink afterwards. I mean, we we were (laughs) sitting in the same building together, not wearing masks, not worried about masks. There were some hints, I think, at that point that, you know, it might be coming our direction, um, but what a what a what a lifetime it's felt like since we've had you on the podcast last. Um, so what I'd like to do is maybe talk a little bit about some things, some of the big picture things at the Bush School that you see in your in your spot as our leader, as our dean. That uh, since we spoke uh, almost getting close to a year ago now, ten months ago, I think, just some updates of interesting things going on in the Bush School. Some some cool growth things we have going on. Want to make sure we talk about the campus and um, talk about other kind of interesting things we have going on. And then I want to get to some challenges or new types of challenges in our environment, because it is true that we're living in a current pandemic world and in the midst of COVID. So we've all had to adjust a little bit and and kind of muddle our way through that the best we could. So I want to to talk a little bit about that um, as well. But with that set up, feel free to kind of start with any things you would let uh, you would like to let the Bush School and Corked audience know that are that are interesting that we have going on at the Bush School these days? Sure, I, I won't dwell on the first two, but they're, they're bad things. Obviously, uh, COVID-19 hit, maybe, I'm just thinking as you were describing the last time I was on the show, maybe that was the super spreader that started everything in Texas. <laughs> yeah, it was us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Anyway, that but obviously that's kind of wrecked all of our lives uh, in, in every in every possible way, and it's been completely tragic for so many people mm-hmm. and their families and their friends. So that continues to upset the apple cart in a major way as we deal with this pandemic across the country and here at A and M at the Bush School. 
Uh, and I, I think what we're going to, the, the other second thing that was really not good for the Bush School since I saw you last was we lost two phenomenal friends, colleagues, professors in Dave McIntyre and Kent Portney who died suddenly right at the end of the semester in the spring. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think everybody's still reeling a little bit from that and kind of getting their legs back under them and uh, we, we miss them. And I think every chance we get, we should remember them because they were great humans and, and great, great educators. Um, I think what's happened with our adjustments to COVID, moving everything online, moving all events online, classes online, professors teaching in new and different ways for many of them, and making that adjustment has made us better as a college. I think it's made us stronger as a faculty. I know it's made the staff stronger and a little more flexible and resilient in the way they've helped the faculty adjust so that we can ensure the students get the best possible learning um, experience they can out of their time at the Bush School. Uh, I, I think all of us feel very badly for our students who've had to adjust to this. You know, they've oh been incredibly goodness, yeah. patient. They've yeah. worked incredibly hard. Our second year students at least have a year behind them of, of feeling what the Bush School really is uh, and the experience you can have here. Are, are, and they're trying to relate it to our first years who really haven't had any of that. All the things yeah. we usually do to bring them together and let them get to know each other and build a, you know, that, that cohort feeling um, and to get to know us better. All those things are really hard to do if you can't go face to face. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I, I'm, I really feel badly for the first year students in particular and the second year students that we're not going to be able to send them out of here the way we'd like to with celebrations and, you know, victory marches and all those things. Uh, so hopefully this stuff will clear up and we can get back to the Bush School being what the Bush School should be as a resident graduate school. Um, but in the, near, in the near term, we're gonna see more of the same next semester. We're gonna do part, you know, about half our classes face-to-face, -face, uh, but we'll be teaching the rest of them via Zoom. We'll do events remotely for the most part. Maybe at the end of the spring semester, we can fit a few face-to-face -face events in. We're gonna plan for graduation ceremonies face-to-face. -face. We'll see if the pandemic allows that. We'll have virtual backup. So a lot more of the same kind of common sense mitigation measures that we're asking everybody to stick with because they're kind of working for us. Um, and we need to keep being smart about this, even though maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel with this vaccine development. But, you know, as you yeah. get closer to the end of the tunnel, it's not the time to get stupid. And so let's just keep doing the smart things. But I think we'll, we're in this for at least one more semester uh, and we just need to keep grinding our way through it and taking care of each other. That's the big thing. Yeah. Um, well but just if I could jump in on that, I, I just yeah, wanted to please. add that I've, I've noticed uh, just some of the trends just to highlight them as well, that it has really been a, a tough adjustment for the first year students and, and the second year students um, and the ones that graduated last year back in yeah. the spring. And I, I, I agree that they have uh, responded admirably as have the, as have the faculty and staff. It's, it's been amazing how uh, disruptive it has been, not only just to the learning environment, you know, people, a lot of people had a lot of uh, experience in the in, in changing the modality, but changing the experience in the classroom when you weren't changing the modality with people having to wear masks and be distant, and yeah. for those of for those people who didn't have the kind of experience uh, in teaching online, this has been really disruptive. And so we've noticed that uh, just as in preparation, but I've noticed this semester too. It's been really I mean, not surprising. Um, it's been really hard on our students in ways that I haven't. I haven't seen before. I noticed more challenges with uh, family challenges, with mental health challenges, with just working their way through the semester. And I've been, it's been really nice to see the students uh, being mature enough to, to voice those and a lot of the faculty really leaning in and encouraging them to, to let them know when things, when they're struggling with things and let them know if there's ways we can give them additional emotional support or other types of support. And uh, amidst all the, 
some of the, the madness of the pandemic and the political season and lots of other things, it has been really nice to see our community, even when we were disagreeing about some of the strategies, as, as you know, um, and as I've talked about on the podcast, even being in disagreement about even how we should proceed, we've we found ways to contain it and execute it to the best of our ability. And I've really appreciated how the whole community has tried their best, given the kind of challenging circumstances, starting all the way back in really March and then again in the fall. And I think it's going to be continue to be uh, a challenge in the spring. And so do you think it, we are looking at something pretty similar in the spring? I know, I know right now a lot of the country is seeing peaks. Um, does, is your sense that unless there's some dramatic change in Texas, that, that will kind of try the strategy again that was able to kind of contain it and allow to have a hybrid uh, strategy this fall? So that's kind of what you expect for the spring? Yeah, I think this, well, as of now, you know, who knows what happens here over yeah. the next month or two. But uh, I, the plan right now is to have it look an awful lot like it did this fall. Uh, if, if infection rates allow that, if the pandemic allows that to happen, if we're able over the holiday period when I think we're going to see more uh, restrictions from, you know, recommended by the federal government, by state governments, and by city governments as the spike increases or as the spike gets to the point where we feel like they have to take those measures. So I think we'll go back to a little bit of the more stringent guidelines we had previously at some point. But if, if we do, and we do that successfully for a month or two, I think by the spring semester, we may be able to come back and do what we did this fall. If not, we'll transition to the virtual world again, and, and we've proved we can do it. We'll, we'll do it again. Not ideal. Uh, yeah, hopefully definitely. not what happens. Uh, yeah. You know, you mentioned something I think it's really important, Justin, and that's that this, you're kind of referring to the fact that life keeps going on, no matter what's happening here at college, uh, at the school, uh, or in your graduate program, I mean, the, your life keeps going. And this is disrupting everybody's life in some way. So many people have family and friends who've been tragically impacted by COVID. Um, yeah. You know, um, families that are trying to have, that have kids at home unexpectedly and are trying to homeschool and decide whether kids should go play sports or not in this environment. Should they go to school or not? How many days a week are they going to school? I mean, it, it is affecting everybody, students, faculty, staff. And, and the most important thing I think we can do at the Bush School is keep that in mind and just keep checking on each other and making sure that things are okay. Because there's a lot of stresses that are not usually there on everybody right now. Yeah. And so in some, in some ways, you know, what's going on at the college is kind of the lesser yeah. concern uh, as to what's going on in the lives of each of us and then trying to keep track of that and help people where we need to. Yeah, I agree. I, I've been, uh, I've been kidding my, our, our colleagues and my friends, uh, particularly Rob Greer, who I'm, who I'm close personal friends with as well and telling them how thankful I am that I'm not yet a parent <laughs> because doing, I mean, it is bad enough navigating it, uh, everything without uh, teaching additional classes or making these really, I mean, my older brother has, uh, have nephews on both sides, uh, mine and my wife's on Mia's side as well. And these decisions they're having to make are just so, so tough without lots of, you know, quality reference points for them. So um, it's, it's, a, it's really a tough, a tough thing right now. Um, so, so COVID, I think is, I think you're right, is, go, is going to be something that presents challenge. You know, what this has on, I think a lot of people's minds associated with the university is, is budgetary concerns, which is something that we've also been talking about internally. So maybe we can talk a little bit about any challenges you see as we engage in the, uh, in the spring semester and the upcoming academic year, should we be prepared for, you know, any drastic changes to our ways of doing business at the Bush School and the ways we're able to be effective? 
how do you kind of see this uh, affecting us as we move forward as an institution? Yeah, I, I think it, not, not for the next semester. You know, we made some adjustments. We took some pay cuts like everybody else in the university. The university had to reduce some spending. That's all factored into the budget that's in place now for the spring semester. Uh, if we get through the spring and there's no getting a vaccine in place and we get it distributed and by next fall, we're back to relatively normal operations, although still doing things in, in a smart way, I think we're fine. If it continued for another academic year, there would certainly be some budget impacts that would affect us and everybody else. Um, but for the next semester, I think we're, we're pretty good. And, um, and, and we, we, if, it, if we have to trim things, there's things we can afford to trim and not have to do anything drastic. So I'm right now, you know, I hate to say the, use the word comfortable, but right now I'm, I'm not panicking. How's that? <laughs> good, good, good. Not panicking is like, is what yeah. I like to hear, particularly from my hopeful. leadership. <laughs> yeah. I'm hopeful that, that we'll, we'll get this figured out and we'll move through it. Me too. And there's lots of positive, uh, amidst some things that are, are not positive news, there are some things that point, I think, encouragingly to having to, to the scenario you point where by the fall, we're able to resume much more close to normal um, with other things in place than we are going to be able to do in the spring. Yeah, I think um, so. Well, and this is impacting uh, one exciting development we've had at the Bush School, um, which is a closer connection with Washington, D.C., uh, over and above our namesake and being a presidential school. So uh, some of the people in our audience would have heard about this, but maybe you can share a little bit about what we have going on in D.C. That's uh, something we're looking forward to as well. Sure. We actually opened up a, a new teaching site on August 1st in D.C. Uh, for AM, kind of featuring the Bush School. Um, well, initially, we'll be the only college teaching at the site. Um, and we'll be the primary college there over time, which is really exciting for us. Um, the site opened in August. But we've been hiring faculty and staff. Uh, we're about, oh, probably 80 to 85 percent complete with the hiring. Our new executive director, in fact, just started work yesterday in D.C. and uh, has got the team coming already fired up and generating some buzz. We've been working on applications, student applications to start a student cohort, our first cohort in January. And we're not looking for hundreds of students yet. We're just looking for a group of students. Mm -hmm. And uh, as Greg Goss says routinely, the first semester is as much about advertising as it is about education. And so if we yeah. can get a couple of students to sign up for a given course, then we're teaching. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll use the spring to build up a much bigger student cohort for the fall semester. And so we're, we're really excited. We're going to start with our Master of International Policy degree program. It'll focus on mid-career government um, employees as our first students. Uh, the idea will be to do evening school evening classes, so part-time for most of our students and uh, let them get through the MIP program in a couple of years. Uh, and then in the near term, we're working on a new two-year resident degree program in national security and intelligence. That would be the next degree we offer. Uh, and over time, we want to offer a whole bunch more stuff in D.C. at this teaching site and get both departments fully engaged as quickly as we can. But the best part about it for us is it's, it's a new platform. It, it reaches a new... Uh, demographic, it lets us connect much more closely to policy folks and just every part of government because you can get them more easily into the classroom, into the auditorium, onto a panel because we're in downtown D.C., about four blocks north of the White House, which is a great location. Mm -hmm. The facility yes. upgrade plans are underway. We're waiting on bids to come back from general contractors right now. We've got a floor completely configured that will start operations in January and by the end of April. We should have the other four floors of the building that we're leasing configured for the kind of work we want to do. And we're just excited about the opportunity. It'll become a home away from home for Bush School 
students who are in D.C. for the summer for internships or summer programs. Uh, it'll be a place for uh, Bushies in D.C. who are working now in government or nonprofits there to, to kind of call home. And it's a place for Aggies to gather, which is should be all part of our effort there. So if Aggies are playing football on Saturday afternoon, the TVs in the auditorium ought to be on. Um, we had a, it ought to be a landing spot for all of us. So opportunities for things like faculty uh, to spend a year teaching and doing research in D.C., uh, opportunities for semesters in D.C. for students or year-long internships while taking classes in the evening to keep up with the academic progress, et cetera. All kinds of options now that we have. It's kind of up to us to make it work. We're excited. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm quite excited too. I've been talking a lot with Greg about it. He's excited. And uh, I know several uh, several of the faculty are excited to to be out there and with some of the, some of the research uh, that lots of us have going on, I think there's huge benefits to having a, a DC kind of campus style building um, so close to uh, where the federal government uh, center of power is. So that's, uh, yeah. I'm excited and um, it's something I'm really looking forward to. Um, so I appreciate all the work that uh, the leadership team, you and, and Greg in particular, and I know Valerie as well, and several others have been. Yeah, um, a lot of people have been working mm -hmm. on it. Just a whole bunch of people have done great work. So I really appreciate everything they've done. Great. Well, uh, what other type of, uh, is there anything else that you can think of that would be good to generally share that we have going on these days? Well, great, great year for our faculty. You know, a bunch, bunch of new faculty awards this year. We actually offered, we actually presented this year two new, two new professorships and a new fellowship to faculty members, Ren Mu. Um, in, uh, we got a new professorship assigned to her, as did Kalina Cortez. And, um, and then Joanna Leahy was, uh, picked up a fellowship, an endowed fellowship. And so we're really proud of those three professors and the work they've been doing. Uh, Kalina was also named a Presidential Impact Fellow, which is a, a big deal here at A&M as a rising, relatively young scholar who's kind of, you know, done a phenomenal job in the research arena and is, is uh, blazing a path that's going to take her to a great place. Um, Frank Ashley. Um, Recently elected to the University of Alabama College of Education Hall of Fame. How I did that? see that. I love that too. That's great. Yeah, that's a I'm big sure deal. I love that. And, yeah, uh, that's great. Really a big deal. So, yeah. uh, obviously proud of Frank, but excited for him because this is a kind of a lifetime award and he's earned it with a remarkable career. Uh, we're redoing the Allen building. Most of the construction's done, but the branding mm. is going in now and we're still waiting on COVID delayed furniture and decals and all kinds of stuff that'll help make it look better. But hopefully by the end of December, all that stuff will be in place and we'll have a chance to clean things up and make it look the way it should look going forward. So we're excited about the new student space it gives us. And, um, and it, it just it can add a little more professional feeling to the building, I think, over time as we continue to make the small improvements now that we can call it our own, which is kind of a nice thing to mm -hmm. be able to do. Um, anyway, and then, of course, we, we just continue to get great support from our advisory board, from our donors, from Friends of the Bush School from two great foundations, the AM Foundation, the George and Barbara Bush Foundation. By the way, the George and Barbara Bush Foundation is getting a new CEO. David Jones retired, and they're, uh, they should announce their new CEO sometime in the near future. We hope to have them in place early next year. So a chance to build a new partnership with a, somebody in a, a job that's really important to us mm -hmm. um, and that we share a lot of the same goals with. So we're excited about that, too. A lot of good things going on, as you say, yeah. Justin. It's not yeah. all bad. Yeah. Well, I want to um, shift maybe in the general in, in the direction of talking about something that's really important to both of us and also really important to our institute our, our institution. There we go. I'll get the word out. 
um, which is public service. Um, and some of the challenges that in the 2020s um, that our students, those who think of themselves as public servants, um, have in, in, in actually doing good quality public service work in 20, 2020, for example. And so one of the things that Greg and I uh, have talked a lot about is we like to talk a lot about the politics. We talk a lot about the politics, but one of the kind of enduring themes uh, lately across the conversations is the way that so many things have become uh, tribal and partisan in our discussions about how things are done in the public, uh, public sector. This is something Greg and I have talked about, you and I have talked about. And I see this myself as maybe the most pressing challenge for public service in the, in the United States, which is how we work to find common ground through, uh, our, through, our, through our political exercises to allow for good technical expertise and quality public servants doing just a wonderful job executing those uh executing those policies but as i kind of look at what all of the things going on globally there are some concerns as well but in particular the institutions that we're more familiar with here at home in the us it people are i've, I've been kind of harsh on public service for some time and there's a lot of you know uh accusations of corruption there's been a lot of accusations of fraud in the most recent election as one example and so I think all of, all of these combined things, really for people who just care about helping others and doing good for their neighbor and their community, makes it really hard to do that. Um, and so I think there's a lot of different aspects of this that I would be interested in what, what your thoughts are on, on how this makes it difficult for us to educate people, difficult for our students to go do work, and some of the pressure that our current political system puts on some of our public servants that we've that we've watched play out within our institutions towards experts and career civil servants over the last years since you and I would have chatted in this forum. So I'm really worried about this from how it's hard on us to do our jobs and the careers that our students are trying to step into to have some effective change. So I'm just wondering what your um, what your thoughts about some of this is, how you approach it, how you see some of these challenges, maybe I'm off base in your mind, or kind of strategies you see for, for improving our public spirited mindedness here, here at home in, in Texas and in the US because it feels very fractured right now. Yeah. Justin, like you, I think I see the, the challenges really in two ways. The first challenge, the first set of challenges are in getting people to go into public service. You know, there's there's some you have to ask, why would I want to do this? And the second set of challenges are once you're in it or once you're trying to lead in public service, how do you lead in this environment? What are the things that will make you successful and what are the things that are making it really harder than it needs to be? And so let me let me start with the first one. I, I think the if you're looking for the reward of public service this day, these days, you're kind of hesitant. Could you step back and go, OK, let's see. I'm going to be criticized by everybody, it seems like uh, people actually are going to hate me. Um, you know, or at least they're going to say they do on social media. Uh, social media will target me if I do anything. Doesn't matter what, which end of the extreme or whether you're in the middle of making a decision. Somebody's going to target you on social media, uh, maybe even in the mainstream media. Um, and you're getting paid all that money to do this. <laughs> yeah, so big dogs, yeah. Why do I want to do this? That, that's one problem I see. 
the second thing is that there's not as many obvious role models today as there have been in the past. You know, you, you look up and you're looking, you're expecting to see this kind, this person as a role model for public service, and that person isn't always the role model anymore. Now, there's some bad behavior across the spectrum of the political, you know, enterprise. Uh, and when you look at that, you go, do I really want to be part of that? Do I want to be attacking someone in the media or being attacked in the media? Do I want to be someone who's accused of this or that or the other thing, which is what seems to be happening? Um, it, now, there are great role models there. Don't get me wrong. They're there. They're just not as easily found and easily seen because they're not the ones getting the attention. Um, and then finally, I, I think there is this uncertainty right now about hiring. Who's going to hire? What kind of jobs are they going to fill? When are they going to fill them? Um, what's the direction of uh, both domestic and international policy as administrations change over and the politics get farther and farther apart and more divisive? Um, what's going on with future budgets? I, I, who knows? We'll wait and see. So all those things and many other things factor into somebody's decision to go into public service at any level. Uh, yeah. And all those things are at every level. Those same concerns are everywhere, which is not a new phenomenon, but certainly a more visible phenomenon these days. And so I think everybody is sitting there going, okay, is this really worth it? Mm -hmm. By the way, the answer is yes. It, public service matters. And it takes courageous, dedicated people who are committed to serving their fellow citizens despite all that stuff. And that's the joy of being at the Bush School because we have faculty and staff who understand that. We have faculty dedicated to preparing people for that service. And we have students who come here because they want to serve, even in this environment, which is why it's inspirational to go to work. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and it's nice to see, uh, it's one of the things I like about our institution, which I've said it a number of times on the podcast that, you know, that we focus on the public service piece of it as kind of the guiding, you know, our field, like my field is public administration. So that's generally how we, a lot of the programs are organized. Our program is still organized around administration, but I, I like our focus on public service because it, it highlights that there's more to it than just how efficiently or uh, are you, uh, are you uh, implementing a policy? It's about the whole, the whole thing. What does it mean to be the type of person that takes on the responsibility of serving others that and from taxpayer funded uh, uh, positions and from having legal authority to help to help protect and grow your society in ways that it's more uh, more flourishing. Um, so um, so that's that's the first piece of it, right? We have this uh, recruitment piece as I think maybe the best way to put it. And um, I I I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it. It, uh, there's a lot of reasons uh, why someone might wouldn't want to deal with these things. And particularly when they see expertise, maybe in a lot of our institutions coming under attack from, from leaders that you would, you would prefer that it did not come from. But then once that they're in this kind of challenging state of affairs, you know, I find it hard to talk about lots of things, even as someone who really values conversation, I, I go and on the podcast and record myself and have discussion-based classrooms because I think conversation is important. But um, in the midst of trying to find common ground and have effective nonpartisan service that's that's really serving all Americans, I think things that weren't partisan are now partisan and think at all levels of government, you see this playing out even at local levels, um, 
which is 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 concerning. Um, but what kind of general advice? What, what kind of general, I guess, advice? But also challenges. Do you, do you see these same kind of challenges? I know that that, for example, responses to the pandemic, all the way down to local government levels, have become very politicized. Um, yeah. And those things are really, I think, um, uh, are are kind of uh, influencing a variety of levels of, of of public service once we even recruit the people. So do you have some sense of what some of the challenges are and how to point people to, to north? <laughs> yeah, well, probably not. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me, I'll give you, there's a couple that I think are obvious. Number one, we've become a world of extremes. You know, there, it, it's awfully hard to find the middle anymore. It, whether you're talking politics or social justice, you pick a topic. It's hard to find the middle. And one of the realities of practical leadership in the public domain is if you can't find the middle, if there's not a middle, it's awfully hard to find compromise. And if you can't find compromise, it's awfully hard to move forward and make progress in any positive direction. I mean, it's just the way it is, the way people operate. And so there, this idea of getting back to finding things that, that we agree on is really, really important at a time like this. And in my mind, I think the best way to do it is to make common sense the first standard you apply. So if I could, I'll use the social justice discussions as an argument. There's terminology that we are, that makes everybody tense up. It, it, no matter which side of the discussion you're on, there are certain phrases, certain terms, certain things that make everybody tense up. But if I just said, for example, do you agree that every Aggie Every student at the Bush School, every member of the faculty, every member of the staff deserves to be treated with respect. They, they deserve to have an opportunity for growth, for advancement, for promotion, for education. Their family deserves that same opportunity. They should not have to deal with restrictions that keep them from experiencing that in their life. I think, okay, not all of us, but 99 point some percent of us would agree with that. So let's start with that. And then let's figure out what, where we're not allowing that, and then let's fix it. Let's go after it one item at a time. We're not, we're starting with the division and we're focused on the division. And as a result, we're not moving forward. We're, I mean, we, the nation aren't moving forward. We're still arguing about everything. And, and I, I just think we've forgotten the things that bring us together, the things that make us all proud. You know, I, I'm a big believer that, that other than maybe family, pride is the, is the strongest connective tissue there is. And leadership in unstable times requires the leader to provide stability, to create stability in the instability that's going on around us. And right now we're not seeing that. Nobody's creating stability. In fact, everybody, whether it's politicians, the media, whoever, everybody is adding to the kind of the the chaos and the confusion and the lack of understanding. And we're not gonna move forward until that stops. Yeah. Um, that's my biggest frustration. And for leaders in government and public service at every level, it's gotta be driving them crazy. <laughs> I mean, it frustrates us at the college level. Imagine what's going on in the city, the state, the federal government. Yeah. And these are good people trying to do the right thing for the most part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and it's, you had you a couple of things there that that I've uh, that Greg and I have talked about, and that overlap with some of the some of the policy questions that I'm interested in, and you, and you hit some of them I think uh, right on now on the head, which is you know we've all become so addicted to our social media as our major form of communication, 
and yeah. it, it's helpful for some types of communication like it's good to share pictures of you and your kids or you and your friends or you know it's effective at doing some of those things but its actual revenue model is outrage um, which has been kind of uh, really yeah. clearly documented and so every topic that then that becomes the forum for it it becomes about outrage and tribalism because that's what causes you to click on things yeah and so our whole our whole national dialogue in some important ways has been hijacked and captured by this medium where what it what it how it reinforces its revenue or its profit is by putting people in zero one camps it's by saying yep you're in this group and so we are going to hype up all your feelings about that group so you buy things or so you go be upset about things and there's uh, really clearly um, well-documented evidence, both of kind of how corporations do this, but political actors um, that have ulterior motives. You know, it played out actually in, in Myanmar in a way that led to genocide because they were able to kind of manipulate the information of people so that they were so, so worked up that they went to the streets killing people. And I think this is a lot of what, what of our problem we're having in, in America with our dialogue is the way in which we consume our information has been so kind of perverted by these these influences that it makes it really hard. And what I've noticed um, is the the big thing that one of the classic um, works in public administration is by Francis Fukuyama talking about the importance of trust and trust in, in each other and trust in our culture and what it's really been at a time when we already had not great trust in our in our institutions from a couple of hits they had taken it's really kind of uh, demolished our trust in each other and 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 in our in our decision making institutions in ways that i that i think are that are that are very concerning and without kind of uh, it, my own view is without real regulatory reform on how our information is delivered to us we're in a real a real scary spot because it it rewards bad behavior. It rewards the political and other actors who who seek outrage, um, which is just really harmful. Yeah, it's it's become blood sport, and the yeah. and and I mean it, it it should be offensive to all of us that we are that predictable that Russia, China, Iran, and others use this against us in a very um, you know practical way because they know how we'll respond if they can create some version of truth that will inflame people's passions. Yeah. I, I have no idea when I look at online reporting these days, what's true and what's not. I have no clue. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just because of foreign actors, it's because of internal actors and the way people slant their, their reporting and, and the opinion that passes for news, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't know what's true. You, it's just like flipping your TV channel from one to the other and you get <laughs> the same facts with a completely different conclusion. Um, that, that None of that's good for us. Yeah, it's not good for us. And it's not good for our critical thinking skills on top of trying to find common ground. Um, so I yeah, think that- It's really not good if we react to it. Yeah. And to me, that's something we do control. You know, the it, it, I, I try not to react to it. And I try and remember, you used a great word earlier, Justin, that's trust. I trust in the American people. I trust in you. I trust in the students of the Bush School and the faculty and staff of the Bush School. So if I hear something that just sounds completely radical and it's coming from that group, I don't believe that the group feels that way. Mm -hmm. I, there may be one person who does, 
but the the group does not feel that way and it shouldn't drive actions we take yeah yeah this is uh what you and i have discussed this this is where i'm 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 glad you're optimistic because <laughs> the, the the degree to which the information has been weaponized my my concern as we think about some of this and then uh, then maybe we can uh, talk about some leadership things as well but is that it has been weaponized very effectively um and so I'm hopeful that we can get our reins on this information challenge because it, it turns out um, these algorithms predict us very well. And if you optimize on making me upset, uh, it's, it's why I don't interact on Facebook really anymore as, 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 as we've discussed um, and, I've, and I've talked about on the podcast because I found myself being a victim to it, even thinking like I should be in better control of myself. And I was like, oh, this is, this is another level of influencing my behavior and I study this for a living and I'm very careful with my words and my and have re reasonably high emotional intelligence. And so um, it's a it's a pretty dangerous space these days. And it's it's, you know, so many people are going there for their information that it is. It's very challenging. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about leadership because um, it's one of our focuses at the Bush School is very important to our namesake, um, George H.W. Bush. Um, and as you mentioned, and as, as we've talked about, we have a, we lack maybe some role models that we would like to have in these spaces today for a variety of reasons. And I've argued on the podcast and other places that maybe some, some opposites of role models, uh, some cases of ways that we would really hope our leaders would not behave that results in ongoing um, consequences uh, for all of us in the American public. But I wonder how you think about uh, how you think about public leadership just more generally and the challenges, not necessarily specifically to politicization like we've been talking about. I think we could we could continue to go on about that or partisanship, but I think people also we've had such bad leadership that I don't know that people even know what to see in good leadership anymore. And so if you were if you were making a case for what good leadership should look like running anything from from the public sector that being a government or how you view your position in 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 our being our leader at the bush school what types of traits do you think highlight would highlight a good role model or a good example of good leadership amidst all of these challenges going on yeah justin i i think first of all i think everybody is modeling something as a leader either good behavior or bad behavior and I think we can all learn from watching both. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, even people who we might individually consider to be not exhibiting good leadership, there's some things they do that are good. Uh, and then there's some other things that, that we don't think are good at all. And we should learn from that and take the good and throw it into our, you know, our, our toolkit and make sure we don't put the bad in there. Um, the second thing I, I, I think is that everyone should try and lead using their own style, their own personality. They should do the job their way. So the fact that somebody is doing it differently than someone did it before shouldn't be a factor in our assessment of them. Uh, that, that, that's not, there, there is a certain picture of how somebody should lead in certain types of organizations. I, I reject the picture personally. I, you know, Justin Bullock would not lead the United States Congress the same way Mark Welsh would, and he shouldn't. He should, he should use his strengths, his communication style, his ability to, to, to think and create options. And I would use the strengths I have and, and adjust for the shortfalls I have. So everybody should be a little bit different in the role. 
So I think we ought to keep our eyes open and recognize that there are some good leaders who just don't look like us and they don't do things the way we do. And everybody's got something we can take away, whether it's good or bad. Usually it's a little of both. I think the thing we're missing the most is the, the idea that calm, uh, you know, when I believe that when the temperature goes up in the environment, that the leaders should calm down. <laughs> Not heat up. A really foreign concept. I, um, I'm really not sure what and, to do. And I, I'm just, a, I'm a big believer in that. And I think, I think if the higher the stakes are, um, in terms of real physical danger, I think you'll find that that's the model that most organizations have. Mm -hmm. So if if you have a very tense situation, everybody tends to get riled up. Bad things are going to happen. If you have a very tense situation, the people leading the response are calmed down and start to let the world slow down around them before they jump into things, I think you find that the handling of the situation is better. You see that in combat, you probably see it in, in policing, you probably see it in politics. Um, and so this idea of, of calm consistency um, in terms of message and approach is kind of being devalued these days uh, because it's better to be loud, aggressive, grab the attention, say whatever you want to make people you read your, your whatever account you're broadcasting on Twitter, Facebook, you pick one, mm -hmm. um, or you grab a microphone and just start slamming everybody around you because that makes you more popular with some group. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's what's driven the politics apart. You know, the, the edges of every party are farther apart than they've ever been before. And so for somebody to be competitive and elected for elected office, you can't stay in the middle anymore. You've got to lean a little farther left or right than you would have before. And, and as a result, that, that middle where the compromise is, is just getting really, really hard to find. Um, and so, I, because I think the other approach, the calm, consistent approach creates stability. And I really believe that governments and the bigger the government, the more important this is, requires stability. The, things can change, but they can't change between now and three minutes from now. Yeah. They can't constantly change back and forth. There can't be this driving dynamic that is unrest and unease and lack of decisions and fear. It, that can't be successful. Just no way. Doesn't work in business, doesn't work in the military, won't work in government. Uh, but we, we tend to be in that kind of an environment these days. It's a confrontational crisis type activity all day, every day. Uh, and that's just not gonna work. We, we can hope it will, but it, it will not. Humans aren't that way. They don't respond well. Well, this is something we know from decision-making as, um, as, a, as a subject that I teach, as you know, and the, the more you let the, yourself be worked up, the, the more you narrow your attention on one or two factors, the less good of a job you do waiting things, the less good of a job you do including all the appropriate factors, the less good of a job you do stepping away and observing your own decision-making process. So, uh, uh, strongly, strongly emotional decisions, uh, and as you say, um, ra further raising the temperature in the room when what really needs to be done is lower the temperature in the room as the leader, as the who should be the clear-headed, long-term planning, strategic person in the room. Um, I, I agree um, that it's almost always better to be uh, bringing the temperature down. Um, and uh, that's not something that is rewarded uh, from our information models, like we were talking about earlier. When so many people are getting their information from these social medias, you don't you don't get a lot of retweets or likes on. I really have done a good job working with someone on the other side today. Um, it's not yeah. usually how that plays out. 
Um, you know, I think a good model for leaders is if you want to be successful, especially remembering that leadership isn't about you by definition, it's about moving people in an organization in some direction, is that an emotional response may not be a bad thing, but an immediately emotional response almost always is. Yeah. So a, a, a fun question here for you as we wind down. Um, I guess we have a little bit of time left. So and then we'll see if you have anything else to add. So I, walk me through here, uh, Mark, if as you get ready to leave uh, your time at the Bush School, some distant time in the future, what kind of things would you do to set up the next leader that come in after you? Let's say you had some type of transition phase where you could help another leader um, come into the Bush School and be successful. What kind of types of things would you uh, help a new leader come in to be successful in a public organization? I have to ask. <laughs> um, the, the first thing I think is to make sure that they appreciate the things I appreciate about the Bush School. Um, the quality of the faculty, the commitment of the faculty. And I'm not just blowing smoke at you, Justin. I mean, I, before I came to this job, I had no idea what a PhD could bring to a discussion. I mean, I, I sort of did, but not really. I didn't understand the depth of context and the depth of historical information, the depth of understanding of a particular issue or a particular region or a particular topic that, that real scholars can bring to the table. It's, it's stunning. Um, and so if you're going to come into a job like this, you have to really appreciate that because it's a different culture for some people like me who didn't come from uh, the academic world. Yeah. Um, and, and, but that's something to learn. That's something to, something to be scared of. The, the benefits of being in it are exceptional. Um, the second thing is to understand that this college in particular has a mission that people believe in. Uh, we have students who are going to, no kidding, change their community, their state, their, their nation, their world. They're going to have an incredible impact and the opportunity to help prepare them in any small way we can for what they're going to do in the future is a privilege. And so I, I would want to make sure they understand that that's the type of environment they're coming into and that they've got a staff that is up from another planet. I mean, who will do anything they can to help enable that faculty and, and let them do the best they can to prepare these students and move forward. Everything is about students here, and I would want them to understand that. The second thing is I want them to understand my shortfalls in the job, because I think if anybody follows you into a job, they need to understand where you didn't make progress and, and, and why. And in most cases, it's not because you didn't want to, it's because you didn't have the skills to make progress in that area. I'm, I'm a non-academic dean, uh, which, which creates a problem. You know, there are things that are intuitive to, to scholars and people who have years in the academy that are certainly not intuitive to me. I mean, I could walk into a, you know, a buzzsaw of an issue and not know till my, um, you know, what hair I have left is laying on the sidewalk behind me. Um, it, and so people need to know that if they're going to follow me into the job, here's what I didn't do a good job of. And just so they're ready to come in and take a look at those areas. And I believe over time you try and balance the skill sets that come into jobs so that you do pick up someone who can come in and look at that part of the, uh, the, uh, the enterprise and maybe strengthen it. Uh, and, and then there's a, there's a cycle after that where you may be looking for a different skill set. So uh, I, I just think that the big thing is being very realistic with your successor about the things you think are going well and why you think they're going well and the things you think need work and why you think they need work. And then understand that they're going to come in and do the job themselves. They don't need you to help. Um, and they're going to do it their way with their style and their personality, and all that is good. If the search committee does a good job and the faculty pick the right people to, the, to support during the search process, then you get a dean who will care. 
And to me, that's the most important thing. You've got to care. And you got to care enough that it hurts sometimes. You know, so when people criticize the Bush school or anything goes on in there, man, I, I, it hurts. <laughs> yeah. I get upset. Yeah. Not personally. I, I just get upset because I know how hard everybody's trying to make it great. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, and, and so you just got to go back and get past that and go fix the things you can fix and realize that none of us are going to be perfect ever. None of us. And so you do your best every day. And when you're done, you, as long as you can look back and say, I gave it everything I had, you know, I, I can live with that. I like that. I'll take that answer. Um, and I bet it, I bet it really was. I, so I have no really uh, military background. My grandfather was in the Navy, um, but not, uh, did not come up in the, in the culture. And I know just from the students that we have and the opportunities I've had while being at the Bush school, getting to kind of learn that culture, if going, going the other way, going from academia to trying to run, uh, uh, high-level leadership in the military, I can only imagine the type of things that I would run into and not have any idea what was coming. Um, so I bet there were some pretty funny things because just the forms of like power and structure, I'm going to nerd out on organization theory just for a minute, but from like the more bureaucratic function of the military versus the more collegial like structure of the governance structures, there's just very, like very different like types of organizations to be in charge of. So well done, sir. <laughs> yeah, although I'll tell you, there is as much, if not more, bureaucracy in a university than there was in the military. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we call that red it's tape. It's just uh, a different type. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the thing that I think about is the way the the dynamics of the the having to deal with us as we have tenure is just such a such a bizarre kind of like relationship compared I, to like lots of other organizations. <laughs> Well, the, Justin, the difference is um, the incentives are just different. I mean, it's not it's not that complicated. No, no, no that's in, right. In, in, in the academy, things are incentivized for the individual. Not, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> but that's the way it's set up. Your success is is based on your research, your performance. You know, the, your your CV is what is what gives you eventually opportunity, promotions, pay, street cred with your peers. I mean, all. All of it is based on individual performance. It doesn't mean you don't understand the team or, or want to contribute to it, but it's all based on your individual performance. In the military, it's all about the team. Yep, it's a complete opposite. Yep. Completely about the team. And so yep. the incentives are different. Yep, and, that's exactly and the incentives right. drive culture. There's no question about that. That's right. Yeah, no, it's, it's all kind of, as an organization theory nerd, it's all kind of uh, interesting to me. Um, so um, is there anything, so we have just a couple minutes left before it's the top of the hour. I know I got to ask you lots of questions and direct the conversation as the host. Um, do you have anything you'd like to ask me or any final thoughts you'd like to leave um, with the audience? I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to put the spotlight on me or say anything you would like to that you haven't had an opportunity to say. No, tell me what, what you think is the, the thing you get the most out of the podcast. What's been the biggest joy to you? What's the, the biggest benefit you see from all the work you put in on the podcast? Because you have fun doing this, so does Greg, but this is a lot of work for you to keep this organized and moving forward. What, what are you getting out of it, Justin? So I get a couple of things out of it. So as I said earlier, um, and my wife would be reminding me if she was, uh, if she was listening in, um, I, I like to talk and I like to share my thoughts and I really, really enjoy what I think of as like conversation centered around the things that I enjoy. So um, the real, if I'm being honest, the thing that I probably do get the most intrinsic benefit out of is just 
getting to sit and chat with you for an not you specifically, but but you, but my guests and with Greg and just have that structured time because everything is so like my normal day, as I'm sure yours is, um, I'm pulled in 72 different directions. I answer a hundred and something emails, you know, it's just like madness all day. I don't get to, or we're talking about a specific thing with a research project, which I enjoy, but that's not the same as kind of open-ended conversation about things we're interested in. So for me, the, I really, really enjoy that. And it's my way to, of, um, I think I'm good at having these kind of conversations to some degree. And so it's my way of trying to model back, not that I, we always get it right, but it's my way to try to model back to the audience and to our students that like you and I would disagree on lots of things. And yet we can still kind of find some common ground. We can still not only find some common ground, but be devoting our lives to this common purpose of improving public service and helping our, you know, helping spread the improvement of governance and those types of things. So I like modeling that. Um, and the third one, I guess, is it, it, keep, it gives me a, a way to keep up with what everybody's doing. Um, and so I get to hear about what John Schuschler is doing or, you know, um, what, um, uh, you know, whoever, what Lori's been up to, what, jo you know, what different folks that we have on the podcast have, been up to and um that's a lot of fun for me and um it's a way to kind of like show the students and former students um like the bush school isn't afraid to have these kind of conversations so like while i get to go around and say i think these are important you don't censor what i say the marketing folks don't censor what we say on the podcast it's it's a place where you can kind of honestly come to dis and disagree and there's just not um, not that we always, again, perfectly execute that, but it's really fun to come together and just discuss the ideas and know that we can disagree and have a, 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 a conversation that we learn from one another, because that's the whole point. <laughs> I'm not a salesman. I want to learn and I want to get closer to truth and I want to, you know, improve our dialogue and improve our, our country's dialogue and, and so on. So um, those are the things I get out of. Most of them are selfish, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I see it as very unselfish. I, I, I see it to me as this is about the team. While it benefits you because you learn, and, and I think it, it helps you personally with people recognizing you and seeing your skills and your talent and your ability to express ideas, Justin, it also helps the team because everybody learns who listens to the podcast. Everybody's exposed to what everybody, other people are doing. Everybody starts to think and understand more about what the team is doing. And from where I sit, the team is what matters most, e even here. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't just in the military. It's about the Bush School and all, and the whole team doing well. Uh, we're the ultimate goal of our graduates going out there and changing the world so the country does well. And, uh, and, and this podcast helps that in a big way. So my thanks to you for the effort to make this happen and for all the work you do to put it on every week. I think you and Greg are fantastic in it. Thanks, Mark. I, I really appreciate that. We have a lot of fun. I appreciate your trust. Uh, speaking of trust and trusting Greg and I to be out there and, uh, and, and, and thinking about different things out loud with folks and having other folks from the Bush School participate with it. And I appreciate your time and coming back and chatting with us. And um, so everyone knows we only have one more recording, which will give us 10 episodes this semester, which will be on December 1st, uh, which is in two Tuesdays after our uh, little bit of Thanksgiving break next week. I think the, the day, no, it's spring break that we shifted to a day, <laughs> uh, which is really actually 
pretty smart. Uh, we need to keep the students from being too much partying right then. Um, but we'll be back on December 1, and we'll wind down and be back in January. And um, thanks again, Mark. Thanks for everything. Thanks for having me, Justin. Take care.